Welcome to the Bluff First Podcast. We pray that this message would encourage and enrich your life. For more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com. As you're seated this morning, tell them they're looking good. Unless they're wearing a Packers jersey. Well, hey, I know it's been said already, but I want to say it again. Welcome to Bluff First and welcome to Kickoff Sunday. My name is TJ. If by chance you're new and we haven't met yet, I'm, I'm TJ. I'm the lead pastor here and uh, delighted that you would be here. A lot of people have put a lot of work into today for you. And a lot of people do that every single Sunday, 9 a.m., 11 a.m. Lots of work goes into making sure uh, that you're here and able to experience um, growing in God and growing with the, the people around you. And so we're excited that you're here. I love today. I love Bluff First. I was telling my daughter uh, this past week, uh, she likes lists. And that's, I, that's how I know that she is my, my wife's daughter. She loves lists. And so if you know Brooke, you know all about that. Um, and so she likes making lists. And so we were making a list of the things that I love the most. Okay. And so I tried to explain to her that, you know, Jesus gets first place on the list. And then mommy. And then her and her brothers and our family. And then bluff first. So you guys are doing pretty good. You're pretty high up there, okay? Then bluff first. Then the Chicago Bears. And, uh, and I think bacon was next. It, it was all downhill from there. Um, but being here today with friends, with bluff first, with my actual family, and preaching in a Walter Payton jersey. Like, this is the apex. It's all downhill for me from here. Today is the day. We made it. So I might just retire and hang it up after this. I don't know. Um, but it's an awesome, awesome day, and not because of football, but because you're here and God's here, and it's just going to be fun. It's, it's really a perfect day. It's, it's awesome weather. Well, it's a perfect day until tonight. If you could, around 7.30 or so, begin praying for your pastor. Um, the, the Bears play on national TV and, uh, tonight, and they're probably going to score about 17 points. Okay, we'll see if I'm a prophet or not. We're going to score about 17 and lose. And so um, it's going to be hard on me tomorrow. Um, but here's the thing. Maybe you don't care at all about football. Maybe you even actively hate football. That's fine. Um, you know, I'll pray for you, but that's fine because today is a kickoff of other sorts. We are excited that high school stadiums are filled with people in college football. And I know we've got lots of Alabama fans here and, and, um, and, and Arkansas and Mizzou and all different types of stuff. And then pro football, you know, of course, I love the Bears. My, my three-month-old, he is projecting as a left tackle. He's about 20 pounds, and he should start playing soon. Um, but more than that, a kickoff is a starting point. A kickoff is a new opportunity. It's, it's, a, it's a new chapter. And so we're calling today Kickoff Sunday because um, even though it's technically another 10 days or so until fall starts, officially, I feel like the Sunday after Labor Day is fall, right? Football's back, okay? Uh, summer vacations are over, which is sad. School's back, right? All the kids said, woo, Right? Pumpkin spice lattes are back, ladies. Like, that's exciting. I mean, ladies and guys, you know. Um, I've enjoyed a pumpkin cold brew once or twice in my life. So, you know, it's cool. And, and if you can believe this, like, I feel like it was just 2020. And we are already, like, it's the fall of 2021. In just a couple of months, everybody's favorite month is December. And we all get to celebrate with family and friends 
The Return of the McRib. Won't that be great? Um, Chris, it's Christmas. I'm kidding. It's Christmas. And so uh, today's kickoff Sunday, and this is our hope, okay? This is our prayer, is that you would jump into, relaunch into, or relaunch into some fall rhythm. Summer is a fun time. Um, it's a fun time here at Bluff First, but it's a weird time. I, it took me a couple years to realize, like, some of the people that at the beginning of summer, I'm like, they hate us, they hate me, they're gone. They come back after summer. So welcome back if you're just back after summer. Um, but it's an exciting time to jump into the fall. Today we're going to continue a series we just started recently called Deeper Waters. And that's kind of a theme for us in this season as we um, believe that, that God is calling us out into deeper relationship with him. And then also, as we're preparing to launch small groups and all different types of things, that he's calling us out into deeper relationship um, with one another. If you have a Bible or a uh, Bible app, I'd ask you to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6. It'll take us a minute to get there, but we'll be there shortly. We've been kind of, even though we're headed into deeper waters, we've been kind of slowly wading out into those waters. And so last week was a, a very basic simple um, salvation message and an emphasis on baptism. We've had a dozen people or so baptized in the, in the last month. We have seven, eight, nine more next Sunday. We have three or four the Sunday after that. So we praise God for that. That's awesome. Lots of people are going public with their faith. Um, today, we're going to kind of cover another uh, basic part of following Jesus, and that is uh, we're going to share a simple message about prayer. So if you're taking notes, we're talking about prayer, and if I can just be honest with you, that be cool? Is there, it'd be nice to have an honest pastor, right? That'd be, that'd be cool. Um, Brooke asked me this week, hey, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I said, prayer. And I said it that way because I just don't feel qualified sometimes. Anybody besides me feel like you just struggle a little bit with, like you're not great at praying? Anybody? It's just me. Is there anyone here? Okay, good. There's a few of you. And so I, I struggle, and you're like, oh, great, you're the pastor. That's, that's going to go well for us. But I, I shared this a little bit with the folks that came to 21 Days of Prayer uh, last month, that, man, it's just not second nature to me. Some of you are prayer warriors. We praise God for you. Some of you are like, that's really easy. Some of you, it's not so easy. It's not so easy for me. I'll just be honest. I'm easily distracted. You know that, right? This is why this sermon could go anywhere. It could go anywhere. Okay, um, I'm very easily distracted. So for me, like the Bible is just easier. Like I would, I could read the Bible and it occupies my thoughts. And so to pray, man, there's no telling what might occupy. You all ever start praying and then like a few minutes later, you're like, who was the actress that was in that Nickelodeon show? And then like you're just like way, way out there. And so, um, man, I don't feel like I'm the best person to talk about prayer. And yet I do think... Um, if you're like me and it's unnatural or it's intimidating or it's frustrating, maybe today will help because I think it's helped me. I know I need to pray better, deeper, um, more often. And I know that because um, our standard, like the, the person that we look to in the scriptures is always Jesus. And as we look at Jesus, we find something fascinating. Jesus, though he's God, though he's creator, though he's perfect and sinless, Jesus was a man of prayer. Before we get to Matthew 6, look at this verse on the screen from Luke chapter 5. It says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. 
I don't know if there's ever been anybody with a more urgent mission on the earth with more important things to do than Jesus. And he had three years of ministry. It's a small window. He's got this group of, you know, ragtag disciples that need trained and equipped and mobilized to carry on the mission when he's gone. You would think Jesus doesn't have much time to waste, and yet he did not consider it a waste to get away often to pray. How many of y'all would say if Jesus needed prayer, maybe we need prayer, right? Maybe we should connect with God in that way. And, and look, some of you, if I asked you to pray right now out loud, <laughs> you would find a new church to visit next Sunday, right? I guess you do not want to do that. And I get that. Um, I, you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm used to it. Like, if I'm at a wedding or I'm at a birthday party, it's like, Pastor TJ, would you care to pray over? And it's like, Okay, you know, I always have to like get ready and be ready to do that. Um, and I, you know, I pray with my daughter at bedtime, and I pray with my wife, not as often as I should, but I do sometimes. And I pray with a friend or whatever. But if I'm being honest, like it's easier almost to pray when there's another person involved, a person to pray for or with, when it's me by myself with my thoughts. Man, I don't even know where to start sometimes. And, and it's almost like you feel guilty even starting the conversation because you're like, God, I haven't haven't prayed in a while, right? It's easy to, to get there. And so today, if Jesus needed prayer, man, TJ needs a lot more prayer. And I suspect you do too. And um, it's, a, it's an individual thing that we see here with Jesus. He gets away from everybody to pray. But then also he said this in Matthew 21. He said, my house shall be called a house of, and he doesn't say a house of worship, a house of serving, a house of teaching. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer. And so here's the thing. If Jesus needed prayer, you and I need prayer. And if Jesus says his house is a house of prayer, we need to make sure that this house is a house of prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, um, find verse 9. What does it take to pray? I love how Pastor, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges said it. He said this, all it takes to pray is a heart-willing to talk to God, to listen to him. Like, that's it. You don't have to have this big, long biblical education. You don't have to have, you guys ever met the guy that's got like 47 different names for God that he substitutes throughout the prayer to sound cool, you know? Oh, most gracious heavenly Father, we pray, Father God, Lord God in heaven, Jehovah Jireh, Jacob's ladder, Rose of Sharon, we pray, Father, 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 Lord, Father, you know, you know what I'm talking about? You hear that guy pray, and you're like, oh, man, I cannot be called on next. Like, this is not, uh, you don't have to do that. In fact, Jesus says, like, it's kind of a waste of time. You're not going to impress God with many words. What it takes to pray is a heart willing to have a conversation, willing to talk to God, as awkward as it might feel, and willing to listen as hard as it is to carve out time to slow down and do that. Prayer is about our spirit connecting with his. It's a, it's a relationship, right? Uh, if, husbands, I do not recommend taking a week or two off from speaking to your wife. That's not going to go very well. And ladies, I don't feel like I even have to tell you that. Like, you're gonna, like I don't have to worry about that, right? Although in my marriage, I'm the talker, so, you know different for everybody. 
A relationship is built on communication. And so a relationship with God can't just be once a week I talk about him, right? You've got to have communication with God. Prayer is not supposed to be just something that makes us feel guilty. It's not supposed to be just something that we break in case of emergencies, although God certainly hears us when we pray those prayers and emergencies. It should be meaningful. It should be ongoing. It should be constant. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Think of the person that texts you every day or snaps you every day, that ongoing, constant communication. That's the picture of prayer that we're supposed to have, and most of us have never had that. And so here's what I know. If we want something we've never had, then we've got to do something we've never done. And Jesus teaches us how to pray. Wouldn't it be nice um, if someone that saw Jesus get away and pray like that, maybe even heard him pray, saw his prayer life firsthand, wouldn't it be awesome if they asked him how to do that and then wrote it down? Wouldn't that be great? That's what we have in Matthew chapter 6. You saw where that was going. The Lord's Prayer. Um, if, you, if you've got a Bible, the Lord's Prayer is recorded twice. It's recorded in Matthew. It's recorded in Luke. Luke puts it after a request. One of the disciples says, Lord, teach us to pray. I mean, they don't say teach us a prayer, which is often what the Lord's Prayer has become, a prayer, a thing to repeat at a football game or whatever. They don't say teach us a prayer. They knew lots of prayers, as good Hebrew boys do. They said, teach us how to pray like you, like we see something different in you. How do we pray like that? And Jesus gave them a model, an example. Matthew gives it a little bit differently. That's the one we're going to read. Matthew gives us the Lord's Prayer in a conversation Jesus has about hypocrites that love to pray big fancy prayers and love to make a big show out of their fasting and all of that. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not about that. Here's how to pray. And he gives us the Lord's Prayer. We don't do this very often in the sermon, but we're going to do it today. I want you, if you would, to turn your eyes to the screen. And Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, I I want to read this out loud together, okay? So read with me um, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this. Read it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some of you in the Lord's Prayer, you have have the tradition of adding, for yours is the kingdom and the glory and the honor and the power and the nachos forever and ever and ever. That's foreshadowing. There's nachos after the service, okay? Um, I, have, I have taught on this passage probably a dozen times. You know, last week we read John 3, 16 and 17. It's like very familiar. The Lord's Prayer is one of the most familiar, like the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 are probably the two things you've heard at most funerals, like everybody has heard uh, the Lord's Prayer. And yet, despite the fact that I've taught on it a dozen times and I've I've led prayer services through it, I've designed bookmarks based on the Lord's Prayer, like I've been around it, it is so easy for it to become vanilla and boring and just kind of like this is a thing that we read and a thing that we do. But like God's Word so often does, 
even the things that have become mundane and vanilla to us, every once in a while, you read them, and because the word is living and active, every once in a while you read it and you're like, oh, I see it, and it's not vanilla anymore. It's rocky road in Jesus' name, right? It's butter pecan. Like, it's, good. it's cookie dough, right? Like, it's delicious. And that's what happened to me this week. I'll be real with you. I was not real excited to teach on prayer because, like I said, I struggle with it sometimes. Um, I know I should be praying, but I run out of things to pray for. And yet this week, as I looked at the Lord's prayer, something caught my eye. If you're a note taker, you can write this down. The Lord's prayer is not just a pattern for prayer. It is a pattern for life. And I, maybe I've seen it before, but I don't, know, I don't remember seeing it this way before. Jesus teaches us not just what to say when we pray or the types of topics we should cover in our prayer time, but an orderly fashion on how to think and how to view our lives and how to live. And so I'm pumped to talk about it, and I hope it helps you think and live and pray more like Jesus. Let's look at it. First thing I want you to notice in the Lord's Prayer is the order of the prayer itself. If you were to look at this prayer and, and consider that it focuses its eyes on different things, where does the Lord's Prayer start? Where are your eyes focused when Jesus says, pray like this, what does he start with? Our Father, right? So the first thing, like how many of you, if you're honest, when you go to God in prayer, the first thing is the request list, right? The first thing is the stuff you need help with, the list, like, God, can you do this, 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 this? By the way, you're awesome, God, thanks. Thanks for coming through. Jesus teaches us that the proper order is God first, a glimpse of him, an image of him, and then it settles down into us and our needs and our issues and our relationships. And so notice, if you have your Bible still open to that chapter, if you slide down to verse 33, Jesus says in the same chapter, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Don't start with the list, start with God, and the list will take care of itself, right? And, and so this is a way for us to live. The Lord's prayer deals with God first and then us and our issues. Our lives ought to be focused on God's God first and then us and our issues. Vertical first and then horizontal. Some of us are frustrated with God that we don't think he's coming through on all the things that are happening in our lives horizontally and we have not sought him first vertically. We're not going after him, we're just hoping that he helps us out. Look, I, I know that God hears us and he's patient with us even when we're flustered, even when we're desperate, even when we're upset, even when we're scared. But the best way to pray is to start with God. The best way to think is what does God say. The best way to live is what is God's will. And then we look at the prayer itself in a little bit more detail. Here's what I want to propose to you over the next 10 minutes. I would suggest to you that if you could take the Lord's Prayer and not just say it, not just use it to aid your prayer life, but to actually believe the words that you would say when you recite this prayer. 
that if you actually believed it, it could change everything in your life. That's what I think. A lot of you come in here with different types of baggage, different types of worry, and I would say that if you could believe the Lord's Prayer, you would have nothing to worry about. Wouldn't that be nice? Like, who wants to live that kind of a worry-free life? Anybody? Anybody like, let's just have a Hakuna Matata. Wouldn't that be nice? That would be awesome. That's what Jesus offers us in the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to walk through the prayer here quickly, and we're going to build a list, which my wife would love. We're going to build a list of the things that we are prone to forget, and the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' template for prayer, helps us remember. Look at verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's so much there, so much that could be said, but let's... Let's sum it down into this. Even though you're going to be prone to and tempted to, don't forget who God is. Don't forget who God is. And I'll be honest, of all the points that I'm going to make, if we could stop at that one and you just took that, it would, it would deal with a ton of your stress, a ton of your worry, a ton of your anxiety, a ton of you looking here and there for approval. If you could just realize who God is... And, and remember that in your day-to-day life, it would make all the difference. And to think, hallowed be your name. God is so holy and mighty and huge and matchless. That's a humbling thought. But then Jesus turns around and says, that's your father. That the God who knows all and made all and knows all your dirt would still look at you and say, that's my son. That's my daughter. I'm going to purchase them, adopt them, make room in my house, make room at my table for them. That'll change everything about you. Like if you really believe that, if you really believe God is who he is and yet he's your father and loves you, that could change absolutely everything. And Jesus reminds us where he's at. Our father in heaven. Now I know God sees all, he's everywhere, but there's a certain reason he lifts up that 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 idea that God is in heaven. And I think it's, he wants to remind us God has a vantage point that we don't have. That God sees things we don't see. God knows things we don't know about our situation or about whatever we're dealing with. And so we can go into life not just saying, oh God, don't you see this and this and that? We can remember, God, you see everything. You know everything. You're over everything. You're in control. Don't forget who God is. We've got to keep going. Verse 10, Jesus says, don't forget who God is. He's in heaven. He's holy. He sees it. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray like this. Live like this. His will be done. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so secondly, this morning, I would beg you, don't forget which kingdom matters. Because it's very easy to get caught up in your kingdom. It's very easy to get caught up into the kingdom of America and all that's going right or wrong with that. But don't forget long after you're gone, long after your business plan, your family is off of this earth, long after that this nation does no longer exist, the word of God, the kingdom of God, God will be forever. And so Jesus says, don't forget which kingdom is going to last. Seek that kingdom first, 
and everything else will sort itself out. Here's the problem. We seek all the other stuff first. Here's what I need, God. Here's my request list. And here's some stuff I would really like to have. Here's my want list. And we seek the stuff first and then hope that God gets added to us, that his blessing, his kingdom happens to fit into our plan. Jesus says, no, seek him first, and the rest of the stuff will take care of itself. And I, I think there's a certain thing that we ought to consider here, that in, in all of our efforts and striving to build our kingdom and worry about our plan and our stuff, we're so short-sighted. Like, let me ask you, what were, like, a week after Labor Day last year, what were you worried about, upset about? two years ago, you don't even remember what it was. And so there's a good chance that whatever you're facing right now that has got you so stressed out or so offended or so worked up is not even going to be on your radar in a year. And Jesus has a way of putting that in perspective, like focus on a kingdom that's going to last instead of being upset about all the stuff happening right now in front of you that you can't even control to begin with. Um, let me just go out on a limb and say this. You're going to be upset probably about future elections. I would dare say in 30 years, you won't still be talking about the last one that we had. Like you'll have something new to complain about. And so why get yourself worked into a frenzy about something on the timeline. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, focus on something that actually matters for eternity. His kingdom matters. And this asks a question of us, like, yes, he's on, God's on the throne whether we like it or not, but is he on the throne of your life? Are you submitted to him? Is he reigning in your life? Is he in control? Are you, are you letting him work? in your life. And the next verse is dangerous because it's almost lunchtime. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. And I always thought that was a weird part of the Lord's Prayer because in these same talks Jesus gives, he goes, hey, look at the birds, look at the flowers. If God feeds them and clothes them, you don't need to worry about what you eat or what you wear, like it's gonna be okay. And so I thought, man, it's kind of weird for him to say, don't worry about it, but then teach the disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, as if like maybe God won't give us our daily bread if we don't pray that way. And yet I don't think that's what he was getting at. I think the next reminder for us, especially as Americans, is to not forget who exactly is doing the providing in our life. It is very easy to think that all the stuff that we have came through us and our wit and our hard work. And I don't want to, you know, discredit hard work. We ought to be, I think the people of God ought to be the hardest workers, the best employees, the best citizens. Don't call in, don't, don't no show, don't be late. Like I think the best workers in the world ought to be coming out of the church. But in all of that, especially right now, as you look around, anybody know anybody hiring? Everyone's hiring. 
Like, I don't even understand. Like, everyone's hiring. I don't know who's working, right? Everyone's hiring. And so it's easy to, like, puff up and think, like, I did this. I worked for this. I accomplished this. I paid for that truck. I bought that house. Look what I'm giving my family that my dad didn't give me. And it's so easy to be proud and to forget that everything is grace. There's not a thing in your life that you have worked for and accomplished that you could have accomplished if not for the grace of God. You didn't put breath in your lungs this morning. You didn't make the sun rise. You didn't decide that you'd be born with both legs working and both hands. Like, you didn't decide anything. It's all grace. And so Jesus teaches us to not forget who's providing. God has the resources that we need. This ought to foster gratitude and humility in us. Don't outgrow dependence on God. We tell our, our daughter all the time, like, do you know how we got this uh, toy? Do you know how we can afford to go out to eat? Do you know who pays for this house? Like, we want her to recognize the gifts in her life are not just to be taken for granted, but like God's grace is on that and people work for it and all of that, right? And so similarly, like, don't forget who is providing what in your life. And then Jesus moves into relationships and I love how he intertwines this. He says, forgive us our debts. That's vertical. God, forgive us as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so the thing that we can't forget is this morning is that we have been greatly forgiven. Greatly forgiven. It is so easy to look at your sin and to look at someone else's that seems so huge and decide, well, I'm a medium sinner. You know, I'm a shmedium. That person, they're an extra large sinner. They do really bad stuff. I have news for you. You can look around this room. We are all extra large sinners, okay? Every single one of us. Some of our sins are more obvious. Some of them are more apparent. Some of them cause greater harm to others. Some of them have stronger consequences. Some of us have been stuck in that pattern of sin longer than others. But you can grow up in the pew. You can, you can be at Sunday school and church every week and your heart be just as dark as anybody else's. And if it weren't, remember the providing, if it weren't for the grace of God putting you where you are in a different place, a different time, a different family, a different city, a different whatever, you are capable of the worst things you've seen, not for the grace of God. And so don't forget that you've been forgiven. Don't forget that you have been greatly forgiven, and it would be silly for you to receive that forgiveness and then withhold it from another human being. Now, look, I'm not saying you have to be best friends with somebody that abuses you in the name of forgiveness. That's not what I'm saying. We could do a whole sermon on that. But in your day-to-day -day life, to harbor grudges, harbor bitterness, refuse grace to someone, and then expect God to freely forgive you is crazy. Anybody, anyone that's been greatly forgiven is able to forgive. And I actually think that's the point. I don't think Jesus is saying 
that your status of being forgiven, it, you're forgiven, you're unforgiven, you're forgiven, you're unforgiven, and so you should be really insecure about whether or not you're forgiven based on how well you're handling your grudges right now in the moment. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is the proof of grace in your life, the proof that you understand your sinfulness, because you can't even come to God. You can't even come to Christ without knowing you're a sinner in need of a savior. Otherwise, you're just religious. To be a Christian is to be humbled by the reality of your sin and the reality of the sacrifice Christ paid for you. And I think Jesus says the mark of that grace, what makes it obvious that you've been forgiven, is that forgiveness spills out of you and you're a gracious person. If you meet a person that claims to be a Christian and I'm not talking about they have one relationship and it's hard to get reconciliation. I'm talking about a person who is not gracious, not forgiving, holds grudges, keeps score, always reminds you of how you did them wrong. It is fair to wonder if this person has truly tasted forgiveness. Like if I owe you $1,000 and you say, hey man, don't worry about it, it's, it's forgiven. And then later on, I'm like, hey, didn't you owe me five bucks? That's ridiculous. And that's what it looks like for a Christian to say, God can forgive me my great and heinous sins, but I sit on a higher throne than he does, and I am not going to forgive you. It's crazy. Don't forget that you've been forgiven. And as Pastor Nate comes, this last part, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us for evil. So it's like, don't forget that you're prone to wander. That's your default setting. You need prayer. Jesus talks about daily bread with this idea that a relationship with God is a daily relationship. Because without it, if left alone, your heart is prone to wander and stumble into temptation and into sin. And it's not just neutral ground. Not only are you prone to wander, there's an active enemy looking to pull you under. So Jesus says, pray like this. God, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the evil one. Yeah, this world is hard. There's a lot of temptations, but there's a way out. And God can be victorious in your life. I know he's going to be victorious in the end. I know he's going to make everything right. But I don't want you to wait until the end to be victorious. I, want you, I don't want you to walk around bound by sin and temptation. Like, I want you to be a winner now. And that's what's awesome is no matter whether or not you're a Bears fan or a Packers fan or not a football fan at all, if you read this book, you are on the winning team if you're in Christ. And you can live that victory now. All of this stuff that we talked about is afforded to us by the gospel. How is God our Father? How could we forgive? How can we trust him? How can we avoid temptation? All of it is because Jesus dealt with the vertical and the horizontal. The cross runs two ways, and he purchased for us access to God. The Lord's Prayer teaches us that we can be changed from the inside out when our eyes are on him first. But listen, hearing me talk about prayer, is not gonna do much for you, or for me, honestly. We've gotta pray. <laughs> like talking about talking to your wife isn't gonna get you very far. You need to talk to her. And, and similarly, 
We've got to make time. Listen, I've never met anyone that has tripped and fell into a puddle of time to pray. All right? You're not going to be like, hey, what are you doing? Praying. Why? Bored. There was, no, there was nothing on my phone to look at, so I figured I'd just pray. That's not going to happen. You're going to have to make time to pray. Right? If we want something we haven't had, we do something we haven't done. We find a place. We pray out loud in the car by ourselves. We feel silly. Who cares? We pray with our kids. We pray with our spouse. We pray. And we trust that as we do, and we look at the model that Jesus gives us, God first, me second. Man, I've been forgiven. I can forgive. Man, God, God's who I'm depending on. I'm not going to outgrow that. Man, I need help with this temptation. As we do that, as we grow, then we have become more like Jesus. And what's awesome is Hebrews 7 says, as we are praying, he prays for us. The scripture says Jesus lives to make intercession on our behalf. Listen, Jesus right now is praying for you. He hasn't quit on you yet. He's praying for you. And what he's mostly praying for you is not just your wish list or your emergencies, but that you would know him because that would let you get through anything this world could throw at you. So you gotta find the time, you gotta make the time. There's a story about these um, new converts in this village in Africa, and the, the leader discipled them and taught them, I want you to find a place to pray, I want you to leave where we gather and walk out to a place to pray, and I want you to go to the same place every day. And as the months wore on, he could tell which of them were faithful because some of them had dusty, dirty, worn down paths and some of them had weeds growing up and you couldn't quite tell where the turns were. So the ones with the grown up paths, he could say, hey, there's grass on your path. <coughs> Excuse me. There's grass on your path. Are you making time for the Lord? So that's the question this morning. Is there grass on your path? Have you been going through your life without even considering what God might have to say? Have you been just doing your plan and never even stopping to ask God, is this pleasing to you? Have you been thinking it's all about you? Look, I'll be real with you. There's times that like, okay, I know how to do church. We'll just, I got an idea. We'll just do this. This will work. It worked before. It worked at my friend's church. God, what's your plan? You have a vantage point I don't have. What's your will? What are you saying? What are you doing? Let's cut a new path this morning. Stand with me if you would. Jesus, meet us in this place. Somebody right now, even under their breath, is going to whisper a prayer for the first time in their life. And you're going to meet with them. And I thank you for that. But for many of us in this room, it's just a new commitment, a new start. You might need to set an alarm in your phone. You might need to set a reminder in your calendar. Pick a new place. Buy a new chair. I gave you permission. Find a place and a time to spend with Jesus. Cut a new path. Let's worship the Lord together. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For questions, prayer requests, and more information, please visit us on the web at blufffirst.com.